0: All right.
1: and welcome to this very special Christmas edition of the Monster Lore Tour Paranormal Deep Dives from the Edge of Nowhere podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Carr, here along with my co-host and the elf to my shelf, Mr. Matt O'Zero, a.k.a. The Moz. How are we doing today, Moz?
0: No complaints, but yeah. you did say you didn't have one for today. Of who, You know, The Elf to My Shelf was kind of the last-minute addition. It is suggestive. I'm just going to say that. So, I don't know. We're we're starting here. A little shaky ground. I hope that shelf was hung properly.
1: I'm just glad (laughs) we now know our schedule so we can do these holiday special kind of things. We kind of dropped the ball on Halloween because we didn't even know what episode was coming out on Halloween, although it ended up being a good one for Halloween. Yes. But we know this is coming out on Christmas, and as a special gift to our listeners, we're going to put out both parts of this double parter we're going <laughs> to <laughs> we're going to put out both parts of this two parter about arctic shapeshifters so it's even winter themed yes. like it's perfect for a creepy christmas no right i now. have
0: a surprise i have a thesis a very Christmassy thesis that's kind of you know I'm don't know crazy. How, I, don't know what, I don't know what I don't know what to say. You will have to make your own adjectives later. Fair as enough. As to whether it added something to your holiday or whether it destroyed it, you let us know.
1: Oh, uh, this is the Maz ruins Christmas Ma- edition. <laughs> <laughs> the Maz who stole Christmas. Yes, the Maz who stole Christmas. I like that. Now it makes sense, and
0: that's what makes me so sad.
1: But anywho, oh, we didn't even prepare this beforehand. Do we have old business? Out with the old, old and with the new. It's a new year. Let's just move
0: on. If you have stuff you think we forgot, please let us know so we can f- forget some more.
1: Yeah, There you go. Monsterloretour@gmail.com mm-hmm. works. Comments on whatever platform you're listening on. Hopefully we'll have a actual public chat kind of place put together soon. That's something that keeps eluding us. But anywho, let's uh, turn it over to the Crypto Santa Claus here, Mr. Maz.
0: Thank you, thank you. Uh, in my last bit on shapeshifters, I made the case for shamans or shamanic energies as the key to shapeshifting. The whole phenomenon, I think, is based on that, or at least this is the first time that humans get involved with these energies. So that's where we came up with the word Sisera. That's where we kind of moved into the shapeshift counters. It started with my first episode, The Skin Walker, And sadly, we're still here. But not sadly, because great things are coming out of it that I don't <laughs> really understand. So maybe you can help us understand what I don't understand.
1: Well, it, it transformed into other things. Yes, it did. And it just keeps on going. It's like a snowball that you roll down the hill on Christmas and
0: watch out New Year's because it's coming down as a very large you know, avalanche kind of thing. There you go. There are these several confounding energies mixed into the shitsnicks, the totem spirits, the ancestral spirits, the more elemental energies. They all seem to play their role. If you haven't seen anything else, at least prerequisite wise, listen to the, the shapeshifter episodes. Listen to one and two of our shapeshifter episodes where you'll be completely lost in the Arctic without a sweater, which is, which is bad. <laughs> Just out in the cold, man. Yes. I found a quote to start and this is going to get the theme on cause we are Putting our totem on again. Our totem animal is going to be worn. There's going to be no bear meat served for you during I this. I appreciate that. Thank you. But Neville Drury called it shamanism as being applied animism or animism in practice. And I kind of love that.
1: So, oh, there you go. Yep. Here's, that makes sense that it. You know, the animistic yeah. beliefs that humans and animals are all really just the same thing.
0: This is the functional piece of that. And shamanism is the functional piece of animism. Here's some more interesting concepts I came across before we get started. Uh, Christina Pratt's work on shamanism, I came across the tunax. We always say yek, but the general term for the Arctic area of a yek or a totem animal or an ikla is tunax. I still want to go with yak. Tuna. T-U-N-A-X. Oh, tunax. Tunax. But I, I kind of want to just stay with yek. I just like yek. It's the tlingit version of the totem but it, it's kind of my favorite it's the one that sticks sure so we'll it, have to it see is, what people think. it is
1: the uh mlt lexicon yeah. to use yuck. so i'm okay with that yeah it also works in the jokes better which is
0: important as well so
1: you know what so, the yuck are you talking about
0: <laughs> exactly thank you uh here this from christina pratt there are many types of spirits and many can change form a tunax can be an animal spirit a dwarf spirit an elemental a giant or any form the most important helping spirit are the animal spirits. So we see a hint that the animal there spirits may be stronger, which I don't know. There's landscape deities, are they stronger? there's ancestral spirits, are they stronger? Every yeah, we, culture we has even these energies.
1: Brought the crystals into this. Even crystals can yeah. Yeah. be be the, the yak, right. so to speak. Yeah. And that's the some
0: of the, the the things that become elemental forces make no sense to me
1: at this time. <laughs> well, that's why we're here, that's right? That's why Trying we're here. to make here. it make sense.
0: I also found the TORNGAK. It's a helper. It's T-O-R-N-G-A-K. I also have to say that we have so many of these to go through and some of them you really can't pronounce in Inuit. I'm just going to sure. do my best. Do your and best. We're, and we're going to have to move on and everything's going to be in the show notes for those who really want to look into it deeper because I wish I could take the time to learn how to say some of these things, but this is just it's just not going to happen.
1: I studied anymore. a little bit in preparation. Hopefully I'm better than I was the last time at least. <laughs>
0: there you go. I appreciate that. But the Torn Gak, T-O-R-N-G-A-K, is a helper spirit that never had any connection to any living creature or physical form whatsoever. Shamans can only have one of these type in the north, so you can have endless animal or ancestral spirits, but only one per customer for the Torn Gak. Well, because the Torn Gak is the whole
1: thing at once.
0: Well, it might be back to those more basal elements like that compressed yeah. ice with the manilac that we came across in, in uh, Nud Rasmussen's Rasmus, work that was might be something that's never dealt with humans before. I don't know. Right. Are they talking more in, inorganic beings from Castaneda? I don't know what they mean. Well,
1: the, the analogy that comes to my mind there is it's like you can speak to the individual fish or you can just commune with the ocean itself. Yeah, you know something I mean. bigger, deeper. Yeah, the big elemental side of it rather than just the one being. Right,
0: and, but but this thing is, whatever you this yak is, it's unaffiliated. It's never been attached to it. It doesn't know what a human is. It's one of those, it's a
1: strange, mm. it's a strange thing. That's a higher power sort of thing. That yeah. energy beings. Yeah. P- may- uh, post-biological or entities. pre, or pre or post, oh, or pre, yeah, or either side of the margin. I it's the primordial consciousness or something. Yep. Ooh. And, see, you're blowing my mind already, Miles. Oh, I love get, your episodes.
0: It's gonna, it's <laughs> gonna get worse and better at the same time. Uh, pre and post. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And finally, the concept of anakua, a n a k u a, which is the ability that shamans obtain to see into other realms, which relates to what we've already discussed. Cowan's fire in the head, the ability to know why Australians call their shamans the clever men. Uh, they can see in the dark. They can see other entities. They can see things we can't. Yeah. It's kind
1: of like when the cat's staring off in the corner. You know what it's looking at? I was just thinking that when my yeah. dog just suddenly stops on the trail and looks ahead, like staring at something, all freaked out. And I'm like, there's nothing there. Yeah. <laughs> that little preview was brought by Encyclopedia
0: of Shamanism, Christina Pratt. But I want to start off with a definition real quick again of shapeshifters or those individuals not necessarily human with the power to shift in other creatures from human to animal or vice versa. During this transformation process, these beings or entities can be perceived as undergoing some physical transformation by observers. And we do talk about the other types. But yeah, she, some can't do it when anybody's looking. Yeah, or they're just projecting their consciousness all, elsewhere for assassination right, or right. for, uh, you know, kind of an astral uh, psychic attack. But we're also, we're a monster lore to our group, so we want to make sure we get the monsters in there, either evil energies that are being created or some of the uh, actually transforming into a creature that will come and eat you. So that's what we're ho- <laughs> always hoping for. That's what we're always hoping for here. But today our quarry Wait, leads. We're, we're hoping to be eaten. Well, I, what went, well,
1: <laughs> well, you I thought with, I was paying attention. Maybe not. Yeah, Sorry. Get started with the elf in the shelf that mm-hmm. shit. Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's fair. That's fair.
0: Here's this quote from me circa yesterday around lunchtime. A common theme behind the shape-shifting phenomenon, shamanism, is a connection often ignored or downplayed by the cryptozoological community. Maybe I'm being unfair, as they are mentioned, but rarely do our authors and crypto enthusiasts tie in the shamanic components as much as perhaps they should. I am humbly asking that shamans be shape-shifted into the conversation a bit more, and that can take any form. An animal spirit, a dwarf, an elemental a giant, <laughs> you get it. Whatever you want to talk about. Whatever do. you want to talk Any size, about. too. You can make it big, you can make it small.
1: A footnote, really. It is a good point, though. It's... It, it is something that should be more explored it's it's such an old belief system it's been documented in so many cultures pretty much all cultures as far as i can tell in one shape or form yeah it, it like how does it how is it not more in the conversation like it's kind of weird that it's not
0: yeah and, and it's not, I'm not coming up with this stuff. Other people made these crazy connections and I keep thinking I'm scooping things into a corner that maybe folks haven't looked at and then I find where someone really discusses this and we will be discussing when they really discuss this. Yeah. But it is amazing to me how similar it seems. And yes, things are also very different. There's a different component, different flavor, different culture, has different meanings. But then there's also similarities that, Right, and element Gedanken
1: versus Volk Gedanken thing we were talking about. Yeah, when you when you get rid of the more superfluous uh, cultural bits and really break it down to the base elements, it seems like they're all coming from the same place. Yeah, and you mentioned the whirlwind in another episode.
0: I want we're going to get to that yeah, because that gen- became more of a theme that just then when you see it it keeps popping keeps popping you know you see something keeps
1: keeps popping yeah yeah. so
0: you came up with a good one you you know you did reference that one with a whirlpool so i kind of i kept talking but Mm -hmm. a little bit but when i thought about it i was like yeah it's the same as a whirlwind just in water elemental form
1: right it's it's the water elemental doing the same thing as the air elemental yeah
0: and that seems to be again another theme in prepping for this, I came across the movie The White Reindeer that captures the essence and atmosphere of one part of the subarctic region where we're heading today, steeped in Scandinavian folklore and powerful Sicily. Ooh, Sicily. It's a wild black and white 50s movie. The main character, Perita, intertwines shape shifting, vampirism, lycanthropy, and succubiism, which I think is a word. All in I was one, just ask that. All in one witchy <laughs> package. And that she's everything so if you could read the first one about this and wh- what's cool about it, it's the first movie that comes from this area and it's gonna match what the first statements and explorers found out about the area so
1: oh that's interesting yeah the
0: movie again art mimics life here's the white reindeer that 50s movie
1: here's an overview if you don't mind reading it the white reindeer is set in northern Finland amongst the semi-nomadic Sami A Finno-Ugric people, the Sami have traditionally inhabited the Sami cultural region, which encompasses large parts of Norway, northern Finland, Sweden, and Russia. The cinematography evokes sensations of isolation and loneliness. Tiny settlements are almost swallowed whole by the immensity of the natural landscape. While great bonfires built to provide some semblance of warmth, appear like little more than solitary candles flickering in the vast darkness of the Finnish winter. The proximity of animal life is a recurring motif in this film. The reindeer that serve as the main livelihood for most of the characters, as well as dogs, cats and wolves, are a constant presence throughout. Even in death, these animals are omnipresent. The sacred site of the stone god is strewn with antlers shed by reindeer the previous winter or left behind after death. This creates a forest of bone in the midst of the all-consuming snowbanks.
0: That from Diabolique magazine and does that not just paint a picture of where we're
1: heading today? That sounds brilliant. I really want to watch that right now.
0: Yeah, it's 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 haunting and Of course, the first movie, Shape Shifting Vampire Witch, which shouldn't surprise the MLT community. But here's the, and that matches again some of the first accounts of the people that went up there 100, 150 years ago. Here's one quote from Gadman Hatt which is such an encounter. The Lap are mentioned occasionally in the sagas and in the old laws. The Scandinavians held them to be a nation of dangerous witches, and the trade in skins and peltry from the Lap had some importance and became a source of revenue to the kings. So that's, uh, again, all this stuff will be in the show notes. Uh, And then on Internet Archive, I found this old account from a guy who journeyed there near the end of the last century, John Abercrombie, who got the same creepy vibe. Though Lapland is a real country, the term is generally used in quite a vague sense as the dark northern land of sorcery and magic in a preeminent degree, and the word "lap" is often only another term for wizard or sorcerer.
1: Lapland is a real place? It's a real country?
0: Yeah, if you look at the crotch of Scandinavia, like between Russia and uh, Finland and, you know, all those, Sweden and uh, Norway... That little—it's
1: an actual country to this oh, day. yeah I yeah. had no idea. Well,
0: I mean, it's not. It's just what's referred to that that region. <laughs> oh, I referred see. to okay. the
1: Lapland. So, and that <clears throat> and Lap means ma- it's the land of magic. Yeah, <laughs> and witches and so it was named wow. after witches and
0: sorcerers. Wow, that's and we'll, interesting. And we'll talk more about Ambercrombie in a minute, but the whole place is you know named for that. So. Um, were you aware that in the not so distant past, I'm going to look at you, Jeremy, now because you're the only one in the room. Okay, it was just one Arctic people, or at the very least, these hunter gatherers were neighbors who shared a lot of the same
1: ideas, traditions, and folklore. So, like a uh, unified Arctic culture, basically. It
0: wasn't unified, but it was enough to say, "Holy cow!" Well, they cul- were all culturally.
1: influenced each other greatly. Right at the right, top of the world. Right. You know, top of the morning. To like you not probably. necessarily. Calling themselves the same, right? Tribe it wasn't a whatever, group but, like uh,
0: that we can see that conquered a bunch of regions and became the Roman or Ottoman Empire or something right. like that. Yet at the same time, we're going to see that there was a lot of uh, hyper-diffusionism, which is the word of the day. You know, the, so culturally, they were all kind of tied in. Yeah, yeah, we're going to see that right now because I do agree with Hancock and West and all those guys who thought. Oh, that yeah, a lot I of do. this stuff happened. But I also, and I think I said it before, I don't agree that that has really much bearing on shamanism, which seems to bubble up naturally in whatever little region it's happening. So it's kind of a, a place, little bit of I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's in Asia. I forget if it's there's China. There's a place called Kokomo. You, you no, nope, there, there is was, not. What? Stop You it. said <laughs> there was a, <laughs> The beach boy said.
1: Next year you're going to um, tell me Rhonda isn't helpful. No, you'll, you'll find this interesting, though. I read an article the other day. I'm saving this because at some point I'm going to do a big thing on all this. But they found there's a structure. It was in Asia somewhere. Pretty sure it was somewhere in China. I could be wrong on that, but it was definitely in Asia because it predates all the Egyptian stuff. It oh, they, yeah. they dated this pyramid to 16,000 years ago. This,
0: you're Hancocking again, right? I mean, yeah. It's,
1: like undeniably, yeah. this yeah. thing was built 16,000 years ago. Yep. Which is. Older than Which go back with People weren't supposed to be advanced at that point. Like, yeah. how do you do that if you're not advanced? Yeah, and have you have some kind of technology? Like, a lot of people think technology. They think it has to be the electronics and things like we have. There's a lot of different forms technology. can That just means building tools and knowing how to use machines of what, of whatever kind you're building. You know what I mean? It's probably a, such a different type of technology. We can't even grasp it cuz we're so into our own. Yep. But they had technology of some kind.
0: Yeah, I mean what
1: they're doing with the Egyptian pyramids as
0: far as being power plants. I mean, that's yeah. I, I don't think it's in the bag yet, but it's you know, that's an a really strong argument when you find the residue in the shafts and yeah. this is,
1: you know, it's, it's they, fascinating. Somebody needs to build a working, rep, like a, a scaled down working replica of that. Hey, just to show that it works.
0: I I'm still have my science teacher from the eighth grade on Facebook. We can call him and maybe we can work on this together after school. Yeah, there yeah. you go. But let's get back to circumpolar. <laughs> <laughs> let's get back to that circumpolar group. Um, one of the ones I found out I didn't know before researching this, uh, I, I mean, I found out a while ago episode-wise, but I didn't know before I started all this, the Ainu reside in Hokkaido, that big island in northern Japan, uh, which is also Gamera often attacks the there. Uh, he's part of the Yamato culture, a remnant of a circumpolar, matrilineal culture where the women were often the shaman.
1: That's a good idea.
0: That's, that's, well, it's a scary, it's, it sends a chill down my spine. It's a scary podcast. <laughs>
1: I honestly think the women should be in charge, man. No, I know. We're just kidding. We
0: we agree. We we agree with that. But yeah. it really is about not not any either gender being it's really about a both working in harmony. Well, I, yeah, in the end
1: it's in, in the find end. the best person for the job. Period. But, right.
0: But right now your best bet is is probably female. <laughs> Just
1: us guys have been messing it up we for so long. It so long, like messing it up so bad for so yeah. long. I just feel like we should not have a turn for a while. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> we had our turn. We yeah. did not do well. Yeah. Give someone else a turn. Next.
0: <laughs> but back to the circumpolar group that was matrilineal. We did, and, and I think the scariest areas and regions are where the women were the shaman. And mm-hmm. the Philippines come to mind, which is a really spooky Ooh, place, yeah. which we will be talking about at some point, I am sure. Even in my family though, the women are the ones who are the sensitives and the ones who have you know, like I've heard all about, you know, Aunt What's her face's abilities to see in the future and see ghosts and the dudes, you know, they have podcasts <laughs> 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 to talk about Aunt What's her face. Yeah, you know you okay, well, Aunt What's her face on here. I can't name any dudes. Can you and your family I mean, is it the same with yours?
1: Um Honestly, there's not too much of it in my family. My mom has something mm-hmm. in her. She's a healer there you go. type. There you go. Uh, she's a Reiki master. She can heal you from across the room Right, so the stuff.
0: Eastern, that piece of it is, is, is definitely related.
1: Um, I think part of it is that my mom, she was the youngest of seven, and it was a very, very religious Catholic family. I think that stifles that stuff in you, honestly.
0: Yeah, we keep coming across colonizers, we keep coming across what uh, the, the Cossacks and the communists did, we keep talk, coming across what the Christians did, you know, we keep coming across that colonizing beast. So the first shaman arose from the Tungus region of Siberia, where the namesake springs from. Many of these folks had hallucinatory substances, particularly flying agaric mushroom, which doesn't fly, by the way, yet it's still aptly named.
1: It will make you fly. <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. The Great White North also seems to have some of the nastiest shapeshifters around. Sponge constitutes a great number of tribes in the northern reaches. And again, oral narratives of monsters were passed along the paleoasiatic chain at the truly ancient times. Here's Joseph Campbell trying to capture that. The upper Paleolithic uh, area of of Europe had the final twilight of the Great Hunt and the northern plains. In its various provinces, this tradition absorbed the influences from the local landscape, and from the neighboring Neolithic and post-Neolithic cultures. And its most persistent feature is the association of the shamanic trance with the flight of the bird. And that's from Flight of the Wild Gander, which is named after that shamanic flight. So he's mentioning this. As soon as that transition from the great hunter-gatherers to agriculture, shamans were there. And these reindeer herders, which we'll get to. Uh, there's endless tribes involved. I'm not going to go through all of them, but the Daviki in Japan and the Mongolia, the Duka tribe near Shambhala. We have tons of tribes in Alaska and Canada, even Iceland, the Tula people of Greenland. Russia has the Idlemen, the Altians, the Koryak, the Yukagur, the Chukchi, the Yupik, the Keriks, and many, many others. Western Russia, Scandinavia regions, we find the Laps again, the Sami and the Kanti, or oh, the Kanti, I believe. And I think that's just, touching on it but we're going to touch on some of those today cuz they involve the critters
1: that we're going to be talking about. And all these these tribes were tied into that shamanic culture of the day way right. way back. Right. Tied way
0: back, you know, and the reindeer herders is another big group up there. Wherever there were reindeer, they seemed to kind of act the same way and they seemed to have the same traditions. We're going to get to that as well. Oh, fun fact though. As cold as it is up there, I also discovered in reading Amber Crombie's work, the Lap Shaman perform all of their rituals naked. Wow. Which is the origin of the phrase lap dance. I believe <laughs> I believe there's something to that. I think solved.
1: There is some magic solved, in the lap dance. Etymologically
0: there? solved. Oh my god. Let's not even like <laughs> <The> just <laughs> put in the solve call. You know, Mythbusters solved or or busted. We just we have a uh, lot of we have a lot of wins here. They're not good wins. I mean,
1: Batman was a good win. I mean, we found Batman, so that's good. That's Who would have right. thought we'd find the origin of the lap dance? <laughs> exactly. I think it's up there. That's wild, though. They're in Arctic culture, and they do their rituals naked. Yeah. Like, what if it's 60 below? You'll just die, won't you? Well, I guess not if you're a shaman. They have this energy and they are burning and at
0: that, that ecstatic yeah, I mean, dance. And, and again, it doesn't, again, if you want to talk about those parallels, there are monks that can squat in the snow, mm-hmm, eat a few pieces of rice and then go out for a month and sit out in the snow and survive. And it's the same energies, perhaps used differently.
1: And and it's definitely well documented that humans can control their own inner thermostat. right. It's, the meditative part is huge with it yeah. uh, they had that guy doing commercials for a while where he was like running in his underwear through the snow and jumping in the frozen water hole and yeah. I think it was for watches or something mm-hmm. he, I don't know, yeah, but he survived that. the whole commercial but, uh, but that guy was literally on that commercial and like made his name and made a career off of being able to control his own inner thermostat like he didn't get cold. Yeah. You know, yeah. he didn't get hot, didn't get cold. He was, he just kept himself at the same temperature. So that, that is a thing Yeah. scientifically documented that can be done. Yeah.
0: And uh, it can be used in different ways. And some of them are part of the shamanic rituals, which take great attention, great energy yeah. and can be done naked in 10 degrees below zero. Wow. Uh, wow. For days on end, by the way. Days. Well, I, I I've read that I would say, yeah, some of these take certainly twenty four hours. Wow! If they're, if they're looking for something, they can't find it, and they have to just keep doing. It. I mean, I can't imagine dancing or being a ritual, and 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 if it's faked, why would why if it's faked, why would you do it that long? You'd be just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did it. It's done. It's all good. I found them. You oh, know, that's that's uh, that's real deal. Who does yeah. that for uh, in ten degrees below zero for a day or day and a half as a ritual? If it's a fake. Now, there's a lot of trickstery, hoaxing things that happens with shamanism, and we'll
1: talk about that at at different points. David Blaine froze himself in a chunk of ice for like a week, didn't he?
0: Yeah,
1: you know. Hanging over New York City somewhere. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it was a... I'm pretty sure that guy's a shaman, though, so it don't make sense. (laughs) Well, he's definitely a showman, maybe a shaman. Well, I mean, I think when you're that level of illusionist... Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a... I, I, I believe that there is a little bit of of the shamanic in that yeah like yeah. I'm, I'm sure he he has all kinds of crazy meditation techniques and mm-hmm. breathing techniques and I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure there's a little bit of shaman in that guy yeah and a combination of skill and trickery is is in a way yeah. very shamanic yeah
0: there you go but some tribal members of these regions believe they are descendants of the reindeer themselves through shapeshifting or more specifically reindeer shapeshifting it's really common with some of these tribes so we have shamans mushrooms monsters shapeshifters totems therianthropes and an underlying cannibalism theme perhaps linked to the inherent scar- scarcity of food up there
1: so that basically means that humans were born of a of a reindeer shaman that well, tra- transformed into the human
0: the entire circumpolar area doesn't have reindeer so this is just part of it like, right, but, but the right. ones that do, seem we seem to find all that stuff, and we're going to get into That's it That's pretty wild. I like that. There was a belief that shamans of the Sami could channel the strengths of the bear in that region. So we have bears we in some areas. Generally considered a powerful and worthy totem, so good job with your totem. But thought experiment if I give you mad cujos for your bear totem will that really mess up your helper spirits
1: do I really get a mad cujo's award
0: well if you did I'm, it's a thought experiment
1: oh okay but if you no did sad.
0: but if I give mad cujos to your bear totem what mm. is that it seems like that's gonna muddy the waters maybe we shouldn't giving mad cujos to your totem yeah it's like a dog giving a bear a
1: yeah. bone or I don't understand any of it I, really. I don't know if that yeah, I don't know if I like that. I don't think I'd do that. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: my only thought but experiment for this. For
1: lack of a better term, bad juju.
0: Yeah. But while good shaman tend to emulate bears, eagles, or bison, scissors tend to choose the form of coyotes, wolves, or sometimes oddly deer, as we found out. And that darkness prevails from back from my skin. Walker episode I kind of counted up and we found like over a dozen that were elk or deer We found eight wolves five coyotes three dog one bear one jaguar one snake one goat one sheep
1: and one baby zebra which right. I think was from Bugs Bunny plus you so, get the whole not deer thing and the yeah. deer antlers on the wendigo and yeah the deer pops in a lot yep
0: oh I agree here's a couple items I gleaned from Brad Steiger finding his work was really really helpful by the way he's you know, this one we're going to get more into that. I know into. that name. He did the encyclopedia of werewolves, and yeah, he's got okay. a vampirism book. That's really, he's, he's solid. In the Slavonic languages, the werewolf is called Lukodlak, B L U K O D L A K, which translates to wolf-haired or wolf-skinned, once again suggesting the magical transference desired from wearing the skin of a brave animal into battle. And again, we see that that was from uh, real vampires, night stalkers, and creatures from the dark side. Brad Steiger. And it's like the Norse berserkers, and 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 the Tlingit have uh, actually they wear an owl, uh, or they hoot like an owl running in the battle. So huh. we always have these different groups that kind of pick the different animal. Some of them wearing the skins, you know, the jaguars of Sierra Leone. I don't know if we've mentioned yeah, them a little bit. So those they're they're basically channeling the cat, and you know putting metal claws on and actually going out and killing people
1: always reminds me of the 13th warrior oh yeah the antonio really. Banderas movie oh, yeah, with the Beowulf wolf story yeah, yeah we
0: also touched on the chindi of the navajo during our skin walker which follows the same shape shifter tropes although the chindi are more cryptoid but they definitely have this upright component to them and it definitely seems to be this native american theme that captures the essence of what we're seeing with some of these theranthropic stuff Yeah, uh the main feature to identify an animal possessed by a chindi is that it stands on its hind legs Mm -hmm. and we see that everywhere that there's an animal that shouldn't be doing that and it is for too long and the native americans just call that a chindi and they
1: think it's possessed by dark energies again that's the knot deer you know they do the knot deer stand up on their back legs all the time you can which for a deer is very strange. Like, it's one yeah. thing if it's a bear or even a dog, sort of thing, cat. Yeah. But, like, deer don't do that. Yeah. You know, no, at they all. literally don't, they don't, do, don't that. do that.
0: Yeah, it's not a thing. Yeah. You know? So, and we can't get away with when we're doing a northern thing, we have to touch on the berserkers. Folks have heard it before, but I got to go through it. And I think it's important for the whole uh, Arctic piece. It's okay. a piece you don't want to skip. There is an Iceland equivalent. We have the Einahammer, which comes from Elrig saga, dating back to 1240 AD. Hammer, H-A-M-R, equals animal skin, a skin to take on an animal form. Hamrammer, H-A-M-R-A-M-M-R, is shape strong or shape shifter. So it comes from kind of mm-hmm. skin shape shifting. No, There's I awesome. want ham. Yeah. <laughs> MLT. You got to have an MLT oh, yeah. when the mutton's really lean. The mutton's nice and lean. Yeah. In Eigel's saga, e- Eagle the Hero is described as part man, part troll. Eagle's uncle Ulf is called Evening Wolf, and he was a shapeshifter as well. Trolls back then were associated with the dark side of magic and cannibalism. Here's Neck Redfern, from shapeshifters, morphic monsters, and changing cryptids. The actual process of bodily transformation was known as skiptahummon in that area. It wasn't just a case of physically mutating, however. Not only did the Eig Einhammer take on the muscle power of the creature at issue, whether a bear, a wolf, or a wild cat. But their minds were majorly altered too, to the point here the innate savagery and beastly natures of the animals overwhelm both their human minds and thought processes. Wow.
1: Total takeover.
0: Yeah, so we talk about, you know, we talk about where to put that in our shifts, but that's definitely, you know, two, maybe three. Right, right. But tales of the berserkers stretch from Iceland to Scandinavia. But most witnesses and accounts claim these warriors just took on the persona of the wolf. But there are those accounts of more physical transformation, full-on shift force stuff in battle. You know, like the the robot turning into the car. You know that kind of thing. But they mm-hmm. they actually think it's a. They were attacked by wolves. They don't see people. They also share that I'm not I'm not being attacked by a man. I'm being attacked by a beast.
1: What you just said. Can I ask a really random tangent question? Do it. Is Optimus Prime a shaman? Mm, There's a transformational component for sure. Yeah.
0: Save that for our cyber shaman episode because there's a whole bunch of information about cyber shamanism and next level IA.
1: You're going to do a cyber shaman episode?
0: I am so still tens of thousands of years ago so it could take hundreds of years <laughs> hundreds of episodes but yes i will come, be doing a borgie kind of
1: episode come back in sure. year 12 we might be there yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. dude i'm excited you need to make that happen Cy- oh. cyber shaman oh yeah like, There's definitely, that's where we meet like that's where our two arcs meet yeah that's wild. I read some stuff on it already that's definitely interesting. Okay, I, I will shelf the Optimus Prime question for You're gonna now. You're going to elf shelf that? I'm going to elf on nice. the shelf Optimus Prime. Nice. It's Prime Shelf. I don't
0: think that made sense, but yeah. anywho. It's the mantle. It's Christmas, so it's the mantle. Optimus on the mantle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That, that That works for me. As discussed, there is neurobiological. You remember we talked about the neurobiological underpinnings of this? There's this cascading effect that happens uh, with therianthropes. Same thing with the berserkers. Uh, The Therian Society, all those folks who feel like they're transforming. Again, there's something to be said for that, even from a brain scan situation. And one of these days, we're going to do a deep dive on that. We have to.
1: Yeah, that's pretty wild that the MRIs will show... The crazy brain activity, while that stuff's going on. Yep. There's definitely science behind it. They just have to start doing the science. Yep. And Ulfuo, U-L-F-U-O,
0: means simply hostility. But there's also this paper from Armand Jacobson that calls it a wolf mood. And I love that. Wolf mood. Ooh. Yeah. The verb forms, same paper, the verb forms of troll are trill or trillask, T-R-Y-L-L, to become. Thus, a troll does not seem to be a permanent state of being, but rather one of becoming and changing. Another common shapeshifter
1: monster lore trope. So that's kind of cryptoidy, that they're just constantly changing form. Yeah. They don't really have a form. They just constantly shift forms. Exactly. To become. It's very philosophical. Yeah. In its own way. That's why I liked it so much. Yep.
0: And this from Beast and Man, Realism and the Occult and Eagle Saga. The word troll is thus utilized in medieval sagas in connection with an undead warrior in his mound, a crazed boar believed to be conjured by a sorcerer, a heathen deity aiding the pagans in a battle with the Christians, a black warrior Blamore, who is defined as an ogre rather than a human, and a brumingi b r u m m i g i an antisocial being of an unspecified lineage known for urinating in fountains and wells. <laughs> I believe my friend We're Dave
1: in your water.
0: was a bit of a Bemidji <laughs> back in college. I'm going to stand by that. I, I know some guys like that. Yeah, and That was from Jacobson, Armand, again, Realism and the Occult and Eagle Saga. So here we find connection between troll origins, conjurers, witches, shamanic energies, again. Different names for the same underlying phenomenon, you know, as we've kind of talked about. Yeah, there you go. Just keeps connecting. But we have to mention Loki real quick here. We're going to do a trickster episode, so I'm not going to belabor this. But he could change into a mare, an old woman, a falcon, a salmon, and a seal. So Loki was not only a trickster, he was also a
1: shapeshifter. He was also a monster. He also had birthed monsters. I mean, the trickster kind of has to be a shapeshifter in order to pull the tricks, right? I mean, how much more effective are you as a trickster when you can take on different forms like that and trick Mm -hmm. people into thinking you're something else? Well,
0: there's a theme in the beginning of all origin myths where monsters show up, tricksters show up. That split shows up between Satan and God, whatever you want to call it, black and white, light and shadow. Trickster's at the middle of it. The brother was, you know, it's like a good yeah. brother that shows up and then this other brother is like, I don't know, what's going on here? And things get interesting after that. Without them, things don't get interesting and they get very stale. And I think uh, right. like Odin and Thor and that whole Pantheon kind of explains if Loki wasn't there this would have been the boringest group ever I mean they they had a big meat hall and they had drank a lot of stuff but really if loki wasn't there the trickster isn't at the yeah. table it would have I don't been
1: know. a bunch of dudes sitting around comparing muscles yeah that's pretty much all they would have it's been a doing without loki. Party without loki it really it, is and, and not a good one like a boring no. one no <laughs> no a frat party with no chicks yep. is what it would be like yeah there were women there but they could beat the crap out of the men so you know different dynamic <laughs> exactly exactly
0: but let's get to some of the creepy shit skulking around the frozen tundra. I want to do a bit of a roll call or a segment we like to call Here's Some of the Creepy Shit Skulking Around the Frozen Tundra. Ooh, creepy shit. I yeah. like creepy shit. Yep. It's more than just Yetis, Bumbles, and Ice Weasels. So
1: it's, you know. I do know how much you like the Ice Weasels, though. I know.
0: I think my Fred was, friend Fred was onto something. I really do. Besides acid. Here's our Shapeshifter roll call, Northern Exposure Style. Uh, kind of to narrow this down, there's a lot of them, you know, Bigfoot, Yeti, you know, we're going to kind of gloss over that stuff. We will be doing episodes on the Yeti at some point coming up. That's kind of in the works. Uh, but I do want to give, you know, there are some fairy folks up there and we're going to kind of skip them too, but I want to give a shout out to the Holder folk, uh, the hidden people of Scandinavia. It's H-U-L-D-R-E-F-O-L-K or hidden people of Scandinavia who per Wikipedia caused trouble for an aluminum smelter plant in Iceland recently and raining rocks down on the locals. You got to watch where you build your shit or you or kind of the elementals will fling gravel at you. When you
1: say recently, how recent do you mean?
0: I would have to look back at my Wikipedia, but I would say this is in the last 20, 30 years. So that's pretty recent for something like that. Yeah, I don't have the exact time. See how I am. But I did want to mention one of the many little people up there. Another group called the Irkenrat, I R C E N R R A T, because they're known to kind of come up and tip kayaks. Uh, little snow critters up oh, there. Oh, those
1: bastards! Yep, that's not cool when you're in cold water, no, man. No, you were
0: on a kayak up in Alaska
1: recently. I, I was so kayak Irkenrat yeah. around. Let me tell you, kayaking in a glacial lagoon with giant icebergs. Yeah, don't want those. If you go in the water, you're gonna die. But again, (laughs) like that's 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 worse than a typical, oh, I'm I'm gonna mess with you and tip over your boat. Like if you're talking about up in the Arctic, these guys are known for tipping over kayaks, like they're murdering people. But fear is a monster
0: generator, and if that's the main fear when you go out fishing then that's yeah. going to be a monster. That's what's going to be generated. That's what the monster's, monster's going to do. Because you
1: know? that's what you fear the most. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. That makes total sense.
0: And I also am going to avoid the Nahini Valley because someday I really want to do an episode on that. So you might say, well, what about the Nahini Valley? I'm going north, yeah. but I'm trying to pick some things that maybe I haven't heard of. And cool. took out all the fearsome critters for obvious reasons as well. you <laughs> <laughs> still on me for the slide rock yeah. boulder, huh? <laughs> slide rock boulder. <laughs> But let's start with the Tupalak. This is an interesting one. We're going to gloss over it because it is our side trail, but it's one of the spookier things up there. It's another shamanic-evoked entity or C, which I just made up. The Tupalak is created from the bones of animals and people bits, including blood and hair. If you put them together, cover it with moss spells, and you sing, this thing comes alive. So some kind of Frankensteinish golem. We we very golem-like. What would be the difference between a uh, a golem, how you are, uh, get a golem to come about in a Tupelac. Oh, we just, we're jumping ahead. You're jumping ahead. Sorry, sorry, I'll, we'll, we'll I'll, get We'll get, get to that we'll in it, the we'll side trail. Oh, nice, side trail, cool. We'll be talking more about this really creepy sysarc practice in the side trail, put a pin in that, uh, and this is very voodoo-like, so you could, putting a pin in it is very appropriate, <laughs> you know. so there you go. Wait,
1: who, who am I sticking the pin in when I put the pin in? <laughs> oh, you, you,
0: you know, I, I have a fe- funny feeling. You're a Sith, sir. Right? I have a funny feeling since I'm the only other person here. Oh, it's you, huh? It's Christmas, so don't do any Tupelac stuff. That's my, my thing. Yeah, no voodoo dolls on Christmas, please. Yeah. Nope. There's the Akelet, an orca wolf cryptid from Inuit folklore. And this is from Encyclopedia Mythologica usually described as an orca that can transform into a wolf and go on land. Very SNL. It is also sometimes depicted as a hybrid between the two animals. The origin of these is said to be a wolf tracks that lead to and from the edge of the water. They're said to be very fierce and to devour men. So that's not a nice thing to run into. No. What's interesting is they wouldn't know that actually these whales are old wolves, and I remember there's a different name for it. I I remember the Masonicate, which was this wolf that kept, kept, so this creature forms on land, becomes this wolf-like creature uh, millions of years ago. It starts hunting deeper and deeper for fish, and eventually it becomes a whale. Orcas to be specific. Orcas to be specific. So that's kind of, the Masonicate is one of those that did that. And it's interesting that the Inuit kind of have this myth of these creatures that are exactly like that and mm. and how would they
1: how would that en- enter the zeitgeist? There's also reason to believe that some forms of whale evolved from elephants. That's a relevant. No, I couldn't I yeah. couldn't resist that joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, as, as far as I know, I'm I'm pretty sure it's big with the Native American cultures, I think on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And I think some other places around the world as well, that whole wolves going back to the sea and becoming orcas thing. Yeah. They're known as the wolves of the sea because they evolved from wolves, according to a lot of people. Right.
0: And why did the Inuit have a half-wolf, half-man creature that's actually an orca form? <laughs> Yikes. But the orca was- It's a, it's a man-whale-wolf. Yeah. Yeah. Not something you want to run into in your kayak when you're no, paddling around. no. uh, This is from NativeLanguages.org. The orca was an important medicine animal to the Native American tribes of the Northwest Coast. Killer whales are considered a particular symbol of power and strength, and catching sight of one is considered a momentous omen. Some tribes, such as the Tlingit, view the killer whale as a special protector of humankind and never hunt them. Kwakutl, sorry if I'm butchering that, K-W-A-K-I-U-T-L tribes, believe that the souls of marine hunters turned into killer whales upon their death, just as the souls of forest hunters turned into wolves. For this reason, there were a number of special rituals regarding the killing of killer whales so that its spirit
1: could be reborn as a human once again. So it cycles around. Yeah. The human becomes the whale, and when the whale dies, it goes back to being human again. Yep that's interesting yep we have the same thing with the bears with some
0: tribes the Altians, we have the Tlingit with the otter we keep finding these themes of certain animals were once human and then they can't eat them and that's how it becomes the totem and you know oh right yeah it gets old you know these next two are from the Anchorage Daily News the Adlet a werewolf-like creature from Inuit legend from Greenland and parts of Alaska spawned from a wolf raping a female human the stuff of nightmares yikes child she bears is the archetypal other causing the ultimate us and them fear of out group which is then projected into this now enemy within
1: and fear spreads like a contagion and it becomes you know a big and there's mess. the fear it's a, it, right. it comes down to the fear a lot too yes. that's what they yeah. feed off of these demons yeah but the cryptid reveal party at the end makes it all worth it <laughs> i
0: feel like <laughs> so it's uh what it's uh we sir. start editing now. Just edit everything. <laughs> red, red for human
1: and green for wolf. Yeah, at, at the reveal party. There you go. I did that because it's Christmas. The red and green, uh-huh. you know.
0: Yeah, very well done, sir.
1: <laughs> then we have the Keelut,
0: K-E-E-L-U-T. Another devilish black hound plaguing the ice folk. The Keelut is described as an evil earth spirit that takes the form of a black, hairless dog with only hair on its feet. So at least it's Whoa. protecting itself from the ice. If it has mange. It never reached its feet. I guess it's a hairless dog, you know, running around with hair just on its feet. Yeah, it's much like the black dogs of Great Britain and everywhere else that we find. Oh, uh, yeah, there you go. But it is kind of more of those energetic dark spirits. That's not really a, a physical form. It tends to be associated with more of these just dark energies out there. A hellhound, basically. Sure. Because we find these tracks changing and disappearing. It sounds like a northern version of the skin. Walker. Which I didn't know were there until I looked into this. Some of these beasts probably get these chimeric attributes not by sightings, but because of their tracks. I feel like the tracks change, Uh, and then people kind of guesstimate what they're seeing with the tracks. It's the same
1: with the Yeti to some degree. With the Bigfoot, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The the tracks is kind of what it's all based on for a lot of these things, because that's all we ever see of them. Yep. We should just collect
0: some of their hair and mix with blood and then, you know, do a song and make a tupelak and send it out into the wild. Now we're gonna get into the Koryak, uh, kamchatka based tribe of Russia. Not really shapeshifters per se, but there's a reason I'm gonna mention them here. You don't mind reading this next part. They do factor into kind of the shifty stuff we're talking about, and they do factor into a lot even though they don't quite, in some ways, fit the shapeshifter bill. Okay. We'll see why we're going to mention them at some point. I hope it becomes apparent.
1: All right. The Koryak vampires are known as a kind of shaman. They interact with autochthonous spirits to cure or divine, travel to the land of the dead in trance or dreams. Vampiric shamans are not interested in killing or destroying their victims. Indeed, many of their victims are already dead. As anthropophagic monsters, Kalau are the most feared inhabitants of the Koryak universe. Vampiric shamans feeding on dead souls are analogous to Kalau cannibal monsters and thus anathema to human society. These evil deeds do not go without consequences as mentioned above. While they look younger and live longer, their families suffer. Wandering the tundra alone marks the shamans as powerful persons. The open tundra is a dangerous place, but not because people get lost. Koryaks know every little stream and hill just like we know our favorite streets and haunts of our hometowns. They do have to worry about bear attacks, drowning, hypothermia, and freezing to death and hunger. But the scariest thing about the tundra is people can simply disappear kala get them shamans are shamans their power is not supernatural but superhuman they are stronger wiser older than other people and that from soul
0: suckers vampiric shamans in northern Kamchatka by alexander d king kind of paints a picture of something out there to worry about. Just something
1: else to worry about. If you weren't worried enough about going north. Because yeah, there's only about 800 ways to die there already. We yeah. need another one. <laughs> <Yeah. The laughs> well, case- it's, it's the just disappear thing. That That's talk about a fear. You know what I mean? It's Everybody knows you can freeze to death and starve to death and drown and all that. But people sometimes just disappear. And that's scary because not knowing... Yeah. is frightening right and like then, you, you watch somebody fall in the river and drown that's terrible but oh well they drowned you watch somebody walk around a, the bend in the trail and then you come around the bend and they're just gone and you never see them again that's like to me almost more traumatic like yeah more frightening more like because the rest of your life you're like what the hell happened to them you know what I mean? Yes,
0: David paulides But it's also why the folklore is created. Like, they create these stories around, you know, like the Tlingit have this whole story around drowning. And I think that's a lot of where the Otter Complex comes from, where the Kushtika comes from. Right, uh, right. The Iraq, you know, people just disappearing out into the tundra. They want to uh, explain why those folks are lost and they come up with these stories that they become part of the nature spirits. They become part of the land. They make nice stories up to say that they're okay or
1: you know, they're sometimes
0: right. terrible ones depending in, in on either, the culture and the folklore.
1: In either way, psychologically, it's somewhat healing because it does give you that closure. It's like they didn't just disappear. The Kalah got them. Right, and exactly. It's like them falling in the river. Oh, the, the river got him. The Kalah got him. It gives you mm-hmm. that closure so you don't have to, you know, have that fear of the unknown; it gives you something to know,
0: right? And they're kind of that night shifty old factory work. They're the dark energies. Um, they also have the fly agaric intoxicants that are the piecing together some of this stuff
1: as well. As well, and the deer do love mushrooms. Yeah, and that's another. It's, it's an interesting tie-in between. They got the reindeer and the mushroom thing. It's right. like both big pieces of this yeah
0: i don't know if i go into that but basically obviously the deer even enticed by the the, the people eating the mushrooms and then peeing and that right. pee attracts because they smell that then they want to get high and the reindeers come in
1: and that's how they're do- that th- th- domesticated so you that's how they catch them you can't just eat the fly agaric; it's poison yeah one of the ways you can ingest it safely is to let the deer eat it right. and then you drink the deer's pee I guarantee you these shaman were drinking deer pee. Yes, that's part of the whole deal. <laughs> yeah, part I mean, of the that's deal. the process. The,
0: the, deer, the
1: deer do it to us, but, but we can also do it to them. Right,
0: so the deer and the shaman, it's another connection between the animal and the human is that they're both experiencing this and they're both working off each other's urine to kind of have these highs and, and there's a connection between what happens between. And again, they think the reindeer were once people.
1: I think we're having a very special Christmas moment here, Moz, yeah. with all this year Oh, we talk.
0: have so many special moments. Do we, we'll put the kiddo warning on now. I'm, I'm, I'm sure all our listeners wanted to Kiddos hear about all these years. Kiddos, cover your ears. ears get, get under those covers with sugar plums dancing in your heads
1: because this is not the place. <laughs> I, I know it some, gets worse. I have had some people tell me they listen to this with their kids, and they haven't stopped yet, so we can't be too bad. Yeah, I, I
0: agree. I agree. But last thing, uh, sometimes the Koryak shaman are women who turn into people eating keelut, spirit werewolves, similar to the Kala or evil spirits in general. So they also can shift from the Kala to the spirit werewolf, the keelut. It's kind of like going from fourth shift to total night shift. So they can almost transform into an energy that can battle the energy. That's always, it's always Pokemon. It's always a lot (laughs) of energies fighting each other as good shaman, bad sister, and that that just goes from time out of mind. It's the same themes over and over again. So even Pokemon ties into this. I wanted to have one. It really is all encompassing. It is all encompassing, but I also want to have one kind of positive. Because it is the holidays. And one more positive story, the shamaness Kitna, K-Y-T-N-A, she shapeshifts into a wolf to rescue her abducted daughter from a pack of actual wolves. This is a twist, a feel-good story. Teresa Bajones, White Wolf Woman, it comes from. I think I've mentioned her before. And per Wikipedia, there's the Quickinaku, Q-U-I-K-I-N-N-A, Q-U-I-K-I-N-N-A Doohickey Q-U is a chief deity of the Koryak mythology, part of the wider Siberian mythology, depicted as a shape-shifting god or spirit that taught humans to hunt, fish, and make fire. So when you go back in anything, you tend to find that first brother who turned bad but then also did good things and figured out some tricks on how to catch things. It's often associated with monsters, teaching, tricksters, and shape-shifting. It's teaching people how to actually live in this world kind of stuff. It's Promethean. They, they, they yeah, bring exactly. us fire, and that theme is always there. But it's always associated with the darkness, and it's always associated with monsters and shape-shifting, but it's also good because that proto-shaman was the one who gave the energy to the other shamans to figure out how to combat these other energies.
1: It's it's There, there is the balance, the yin and yang of the thing where... The, the knowledge gives us power, but it also detaches us right? in a way that is detrimental also. Yep. So it's, there, there is a big trade-off on that. Yep. I do want to bring in how the whole
0: Koryak thing kind of fits in. If you want to kind of get an idea, I try to always use real-world examples that are important to people. Mm-hmm. So for this, it's what we do in the shadows for those fans out there. And we have uh, Nandor, Laszlo, and Nadja would be the K-Law the demonic master entities, night shift kind of creatures. Guillermo is the familiar, like Renfield or the k in training. Colin Robinson is the Koryak shaman or the Enelan, E-E-N-E-N-A-L-A-N, the psychic vampire who, who derives his power from the master as a hybrid entity wholly unto himself, perhaps even more diabolical in itself you watch the show it totally makes sense (laughs) anyone would rather be you know draining your life force having to hang out with colin robinson would not you'd rather just have nandor you know just bite your neck and get it over with
1: this is what we do in the shadows this
0: is what we do in the podcasts yeah yeah and we we bring it home that's what, what i want to do
1: the yeah the the energy vampire dude is definitely the most evil of all of them yeah and he's also the most subtle
0: But again, a show matches the same energies out on the tundra. So we have the psychic vampire. We have the whole, you know. And actually, there's an episode, the last one I saw was Colin Robinson trying to find his origins. He's in a library with uh, Laszlo trying to find where he comes from. You know, like, you guys are obviously vampires. What the heck am I? So he's searching for it. And and it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. I hope he finds, I hope he doesn't call us to find out because... We don't want to talk to him, really. I'm actually way behind on that show. I should catch up yeah, on catch that catch up on that show. We also have the Pitson. These are going to be Wikipedia-based. Uh, it's a Siberian Tartar's mythos. Trickster shapeshifters who can appear as an old man with a staff and a knapsack. Apes or other animals. Again, you got this hodgepodge of people and animals that these trickster shapeshifters are capable of shapeshifting into. They hang out in desolate places but can lead people astray in the woods or try to marry and mate with them as well, which again, whoa, that's everywhere. You know, uh, we're going to see more and more and more of that as we cover shape. Mating's thing. one thing, but marry? Come yeah. on now. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a marriage made in hell, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's the shural, S-U-R-A-L-E, with a lot of umlauty things going on, West Central Russia a spirit with long fingers a forehead horn and a shaggy body another entity that lures travelers to their death a forehead horn like a unicorn yeah you know you got you don't we don't have a lot of those so yeah, I'm you glad we got a lot I'm glad we got one it's kind of exciting and this from wikiwand he can shapeshift into many different forms as a human he looks like a peasant with glowing eyes and his shoes are on backwards again ah there it is backward element the guy woggle the and we keep coming across these. Sure. Uh, there's the Shulmas. You're going to like these. Demonic giant hairy wild women of the north. Oh, yeah. They make it into the Shapeshifter Club because they can apparently transform into a dark blue wolf. Rarely, but this is part of the uh, folklore. I would like to meet them. Yeah, but beware. They can take you back to their ice cave to make half human, half demonic Shulmaets.
1: Yes, please. Yeah.
0: One, one man, before you before you go there, one man was allegedly killed when one of these creatures beat him to death with her giant breasts. Worth it. He died later of embarrassment. <laughs> it reminds he me of- died of, of pleasure. <laughs> I guess if he got to go. I mean, if you have 10 reasons to go, that's probably, you know- I can think of a lot of worse ways yeah, to go. Yeah. That was from, from Faces of Mongolian Fear again, by the way. If I haven't said that, those will be in the show notes. There's the Quivitok, comes from the Tula people of Greenland, proto-Inuit descendants of the Bering Strait nomads. Same, again, all tied in. These are monsters who were once members of the tribe who wandered off into the tundra, too old, too sick, too tired to continue. These could be distraught shamans, I imagine. They are believed to become magical creatures that can shapeshift into foxes or ravens, and they become immortal. This is a story they tell when we left grandma at the last base and she couldn't make it to the next spot for the hunting I, I kind of feel like that's we where, you know. we sent grandma upstate to the farm yeah kind,
1: kind of story yeah yeah
0: you know but the Tula have lots of folklore surrounding this but if you, you also there's a lot of things if you meet them in the tundra the do's and don'ts there's a whole list of you know if the hunters come across one of these there's a whole list of do's and don'ts. I don't understand how they keep any of this stuff separate, though. They're seeing something very strange in the woods. And if you see all the, read all the accounts, even from Nud Rasmussen, everything's different. How do they ex- even ex- de- determine, oh, is that a keylet? Is that an adlet? What do we got there? What are we looking at? You know, I don't know. <laughs> They're all different.
1: And, you know, I guess it's come down to just realizing the non-human or the, the non-natural, the non standard being Mm -hmm. kind of thing and just knowing okay this thing's wrong
0: well they are they do get pretty specific and some of them you can't do this some of them you have to uh, handle in a different way and some you're supposed to avoid some you're supposed to not you know it's rituals surrounding these things that do's and don'ts and i don't know you know it's very creature-specific and tribe-specific. that
1: that makes it really tough then when they're all changing forms on you all the time and you don't know which one it is then, yeah.
0: And when we read Nud Rasmussen and and Alfred Riebe's kind of uh, Carl Jung breakdown of that, he draws these things that don't look like anything else. So it, it just seems like what is the shaman seeing and then that becomes the lore and then this thing, you know, surrounds the lore and then it becomes what to do and don't around this moment out in the tundra where... A shaman encountered something, but the only themes that seem to come through globally we're talking about, how they look seems to be very different. Yeah,
1: cryptoids. Cryptoids, man.
0: put can't put a finger on it. You shouldn't,
1: You know, I didn't even realize the difference of those two categories before we started this podcast, and now you've trained me so well that I've come to realize that most of these things... Are more cryptoid than yeah. cryptid. Seems like it. Even with stuff I'm talking about, like with UAPs and stuff, is that even a solid object? Yeah. Some of these things. Yeah. Maybe it's just a field. Maybe it's just a you know a waveform collapsing. Right. Like we have no idea. You know what I mean?
0: And we don't want to lose our, our monster hunters because I know I just heard Jeffrey Meldrum actually complaining about this, so all the portal people. And when you start to go into these other areas and he's still finding real footprints and there's still things to really find, but I don't know why the vast majority seem to be this amalgam of different energies and sites, And that's where my theories kind of stem from. Although we're going to go on some real monster hunts for real things because I think we're going to do both. I think we're going to find both. I think we're going to find energies that are projected from us. And I also think there's going to be some other critters we haven't found yet out there yeah let's so. do it here's the iraq north baffin region ability to transform into any arctic animal but usually half man half caribou monster can shape shift into other forms always has red eyes even in human form so that's the tell their eyes and lips are said to be sideways meaning that they blink and close their mouth vertically as opposed to horizontally well, what does
1: that look like?
0: Well, again, that's what it sounds like when <laughs> Angakok, you know, this this shaman that Nudrasmus and he drew all these pictures. They were very odd things that he was experiencing, and he's yeah. drawing them almost like Rorschach tests. And I think maybe some of these, but again, we have this off quality in every shapeshifter, right? And it's never. It's, sometimes it's backwards feet. Sometimes it's something else. Elongation we come across a lot. Another trickster who gets people lost, he likes to lead travelers astray, kidnaps children and hides them away and abandons them. Uh, The Inukshuk or cairns, like we see in Sedona, those stone little pyramids. The the rock tower trail marker things. Yeah. That's supposed to lead the kids back if the Iraq lets them go. It's also, the Iraq has this one quality that when everything looks further away, it's a sign the Iraq is closing in. Sounds like tunnel vision or a panic attack. It's got this reverse distance
1: power according to the Inuit. That was that was a uh, repeating theme in our skin. Walker. Episodes earlier on in, in this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We even talked about how uh, Lancelot and the Holy Grail did that. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. Messing with their depth perception. That's very skin. Walker. Which is. Turns out is probably Iraq. just a spin-off of the shaman thing which yeah,
0: yeah. so yeah different part of the world and uh, uh, same kind of experience. but if the world is spinning 15 degrees to the left repeatedly, those are spin monsters but Inuit hunters who travel too far north can get trapped in a realm that exists between the living and the dead and they become the Iraq. So they also have the superpower of memory loss, which again, we see time and time again, most of that's w- Wikipedia. A uh, little mini pre-theory
1: though. Go ahead, you have your hand up. Yeah, just a quick. Thing. So it's almost werewolfy where a lot of these they get turned into them. Yeah. They don't just get killed by them, they actually get turned into them. It's very werewolfy like uh, lycanthropic.
0: Yes, and you know, again, some of them are it's by choice and some it's not. So Ah. there's the shaman and the sorcerer doing these things on purpose, and then there's victims who just turn into these things. And and that's fine with the
1: Tlingit as well. And that's where the vampiric reference came from. I just pieced that together, actually. Yeah, and if you read uh, Brad Steiger's work on the
0: werewolf encyclopedia, he's got so many different, and shapeshifters, I mean, it's in the title as well, but he really focuses on werewolves, but he goes all over to this same phenomenon. You could tell he's kind of coming to the same coming to all these same conclusions, right, right. you know. So, which is why it was a fun book to read. Mini pre-theory though. Memory loss and confusion out in the tundra. Here's my theory. Snow blindness is a real thing. You're out in the tundra, everything's white, you start getting disoriented, the fear makes you believe you're being stalked, your mind starts to really mess with you and those you know, that panic, those panic little cortisone spikes start to happen. The inner energy may well create the monsters you see. It's like the gray sure. man in Scotland,
1: although there's a real foggy phenomenon behind that as well. But I mean, you're in a literal blank canvas of a world at that point. Yes. Freaking out. and Yeah, well, your mind could totally manifest whatever yes. it wants on you at that you point. A, you are, and you hit on it. The
0: shamans are going into a, a deprivation uh, area where yeah. there's not many colors, there's not much going on. It really allows for that projection if you are talking about the depth psychology stuff, you can project things easier onto that blank canvas maybe than you could in other areas. Yeah, I can totally okay. see that. Uh, there is a theory some Inuit elders that the Iraq are not evil but simply misunderstood. Some hunters have experienced a disorientation in the same place each year when they
1: pre- approach the same spot. Ah, that's interesting. When it's locality... Uh, get into the whole thin places kind of concept and whatnot that I've always been very interested in. Yeah. I'll go on an arc on that at some point.
0: Yeah. That's flat tundra theories. I don't, I don't think we need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying thin places in general. No, I know. And I agree. But the other piece of it is shamans or monsters can do this, the Kushtaka. And we're going to get to that. Actually, there's one story we'll get to when we talk about that where, uh, they burned a tree to cut and burned it, and then no one could go back to that spot for years without going crazy. Yeah, so we'll get to there that. you go. It's a teaser. Go. To, teaser for a future episode. But these next three critters come courtesy of your guide to the monsters in Inuit art
1: the Kalupalik Magoo of Alaska. Mr. Magoo. It's Maku. That's M A Q G O O. Venturing near the floe edge in spring as the pack ice drifts can be a dangerous endeavor, complicated even further by what lies beneath. Clad in either down or a duckskin amati (which is a woman's parka), the malevolent humanoid Kalupaluk are said to live under the ice, waiting with sinuous tendrils and sinister claws to carry away children who play too close to the fringe of the northern sea. Rarely seen but often heard, they whisk their prey away on their backs to caves deep in the Arctic waters. In some tellings, particularly for inland communities like Kamani Tuak, which is Baker Lake in Canada, Kalupaluk also dwell in the depths of certain lakes. In others, the creatures are said to take the form of various arctic animals to trick victims into approaching the boundary between land and sea, on the edge. Yet in each instance of the cautionary tale used to warn children of the dangers inherent in the northern landscape, An echoing knock on the breaking sheets of ice signals both the natural and supernatural threat waiting below. Turngak of Alaska, Turngate, are rarely seen but are responsible for much activity, both malignant and benevolent. While they are known to invite naive people into their cave dwellings in mountains and cliffs to trap and eat them. These beings can also be helpful when summoned by powerful Angakwit in times of need.
0: That's another variation, Angakok. You know, we keep coming across oh, that. Okay. Inuit. And the problem is a lot of the things we're saying, it's the same word, you know, just a different tribe or a right. nearby tribe. and it's, it's a
1: variation of a theme. Slightly different translation. Yep. The Turngate are shapeshifters of sorts and can take on a multitude of forms. Some are only visible to the angakuk who summon them. While others take on an almost demonic look with bared teeth, horns, and long talons, still others are unassuming and appear harmless, a tactic that helps lure people back to their homes. The Torngat Mountains in Nunavik and Nanatsievut are given their name because they are said to be home to these spirits. That's my favorite. M-A-H-A-H-A-A. The Mahaha, also of Alaska. It's one, two, three degrees below zero. Mahaha. If you hear a haunting giggle carried by the Arctic wind, it may mean that the terrifying Mahaha is near. Nothing like hearing
0: the malevolent giggling in the tundra. When you're alone by yourself. You know, yeah. that
1: maniacal laughing. It sounds frightening, but yeah. I can't take the name Mahaha seriously. It just makes me giggle. Mm-hmm. Anywho. The creatures of the night. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With a menacing smirk, horrified teeth, and immense razor-sharp talons, this being wears a twisted smile while it stalks lone travelers during the winter months, impervious to the cold. Also known as Kungala Cocket, the relatively small creature is routinely depicted wearing little clothing and almost always barefoot, with icy blue eyes that peer out from beneath a long tangled mane. Perhaps most notable are its elongated fingers and similarly prolonged nails that it uses to tickle victims to death, oh my goodness, all while grinning from ear to ear. However, this cruel figure is easily fooled. Elders suggest tricking the Mahaha into sharing one last drink by the water's edge where soon-to-be victims can push the creature into the rushing current to escape.
0: And that was from Your Guide to the Monsters in Inuit Art. And again, these same themes keep coming up. You know, these small little creatures are, are, are about. Um, they have, tend to have all these... horrific the twisted smile is another theme we've seen
1: because we had the vertical smile it's almost to me tied into the whole clown thing with the smile and the tickling kind of thing tickling
0: to death this isn't the only creature that does this in the world there are several i I know it sounds like why would that be a a, thing but well no i I get it actually and the clown thing is another like when you do, and and Jeremy wants
1: to do a clown episode. I'm going to do that in season two. We might almost have to do that one together.
0: That's what I said. Well, well, yeah. well uh, instead yeah. of like one of us yeah. doing the yeah. episode,
1: we'll, yeah, we'll share that
0: one. Yeah, because we're, gonna have we're to share both it. clowns. I don't know who's the top clown. Oh, so dude, that's, it's that's an argument. A, that's a great debate of the times. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be part two of that episode. Side trail. <laughs> well, I didn't just leave you for the hard ones. This one is the. Erla Sinuk, E-R-L-A-V-E-V-E-R-S-I-N-I-O-O-Q of Greenland, oh. which, again, lures lost travels to her hut as a beautiful woman or a crow, so this is a female monster. Then it starts eating bits of you. Ooh, just like a little bit at a time? Yeah. It's, uh. it's a second date's even worse. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'd rather the uh, blue wolf woman... But I I don't know if this is the same one. Oh, here it is. Kreutzmann bestiarium. uh, uh, She tries to make people laugh, and if they do, she will jump at them and gut them with her ULU knife, U-L-U, taking their liver and other intestines.
1: But only if you laugh. Yes. It's a clamp thing
0: again. Yeah. That's a weird thing.
1: I had no idea this was going to go there today. This is blowing my mind well again you're going to
0: see these themes over and over again which is why i've been hung up on these global themes and you know for some of you i think are excited and others we've got to move on and we're going to do a little bit of both because we move on we still come across these themes <laughs> so you can't you're, get a winner you're all losing or you're all winning depending on how you look at it yeah you just can't get away from it Oh, and here's a creepy one, the Inkasuk, I-N-K-U-S-U-K, a legless creature that crawls around the tundra. Oh, that's creepy. It is creepy. Then there's the Ujuparnak, U-G-G-U-K-N-A-R-P-A-K, swimming rodents, again, that tip kayaks, much like the other ones, to devour the occupants. They do rodents? this with a pre, oh, but they do this with a prehensile tail. Well, I think the other ones might have been ro- the Ikinarat because yeah. R, R- a-, a A T. I oh, think the there's rot. something. Yeah. I'm not sure, but this one does it with a prehensile tail. Remember we where we heard that before? Yeah the the
1: Mexico was it yeah. the thing with the hand on the Correct. tail? Correct, Azotl from from Aztec. Yeah, yeah, very good. That's the one I used in the Wolfman pucks. Yeah,
0: and there's other rodents. There's the Goyuck which are demonic-type mice, which is why, again, my friend Fred was right about the ice weasels. I'm just going to say that for And the Douglas record. Adams was right
1: about the mice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. Douglas, it always comes back to him being right. He's as right as Einstein, dude. Yeah. I know. He's, he's a good, they're both a good track record, basically. Uh, this is an interesting one, the Kigatilik. K-I-G-A-T-I-L-I-K, Inuit Mythology, Species of vicious and violent fang demons or monsters preying upon shamans, eating their hearts and organs. These creatures described as powerfully built beasts covered with thick white fur, spotting long claws and teeth, and are similar to a tribe of spirits known as claw people, which is also a great Roger Corman film. These creatures live in icy waters. And they specifically hunt shaman. Well, I looked into this because it sounds really exciting, but I think I solved this a little bit. Oh, yeah? I myth busted this a little bit because we already did it in that Nud Rasmussen one because I touched on this. Mm. It was intriguing, so I looked into it. Uh, research sometimes exposes some folklore as where it li- might have come from. I believe it is. When we talked about Manilac, we've talked about compressed ice and Nud Rasmussen, that piece right, of strangeness. Right. Um, the same kind of area in the same chapter, uh, he's interviewing becomes the topic of this, you know, that Alfred Reby thing. They mention the Kigutilik, K-I-G-U-T-I-L-I-K, which is spelled only slightly differently. And it's a monstrous hunter of shaman, and these beasts. But I think it's basically from this, I'm going to read this and if I'll put this in the show notes, if people want to look into it and see if I'm right or wrong but I think this is where it originates from. Kigatalik, or the spirit with the giant's teeth. One spring he was out sealing, and this monster came up out of an opening in the ice. It was as big as a bear, but higher with long legs, which had large bumps at the joints, two tails, one big ear, that only seemed to be joined to a fold in the skin, and teeth as gross as a walrus's tusks. It was bare and only had hair and fringes, it emitted a mighty roar, ah ah ah! It became so frightened that he fled home without first securing it for a helping spirit. This is the one I said he was so. The shaman was so frightened of that he ran
1: back to his, you know, yeah, that dwelling. De- that description is truly monstrous. That that is a horrible-looking creature right there. Right, but what I'm saying is
0: he just goes through these whole process of which yek the Yek Acquisitional Process, I called it, where he's just saying, yeah, this one I'm going to acclimate, this one's good, this one's too scary, I'm going to run home now. But that becomes this hunter of shamans, this monster that only eats shamans. And I Mm. think the Kigitalik, K-I-G-I-T-I-L-I-K, powerful beast with white fur and long claws and teeth, part of the claw people. I think it just comes from this Nud Rasmussen piece where eventually this Angakok, this shaman, couldn't deal with what he saw and ran home, and we've already mentioned that. That becomes something that only hunts shamans on yeah, the tundra. So I yeah. think that's where folklore gets a little, you know, takes on a life of he, its own. He summoned a
1: beast he couldn't control. Right, but I'm saying it became a thing that only hunts shamans. Right, and, and then and because the shaman didn't control it, it turned into the shaman hunter.
0: Well, you, there's two different theories here. One okay. is that that is what happened, and this is this other people saw this, and it became part of the folklore. Or there was one entry that this guy couldn't deal with it and runs home, and that becomes a thing that only eats humans. Right. And, right. and I don't know which one is right. For right. me, it seems like that's a moment where the folklore took on a life of its own, mm-hmm. and it just there's no other. And the reason I say that is I. Unless I'm wrong, someone can find this. there's no other accounts of this except from Nud Rasmussen hmm. it's one shaman having one being spooked and running home, and that becomes a thing with that only hunts shaman and
1: i i I think it took i think it took on a life of its own. I could be wrong interesting it's like a it's almost like a Frankenstein's monster sort of story like he creates the monster and unleashes it upon himself and his likes. His well, like people. It
0: was the one thing he did he couldn't bring as a yet because he felt that was gonna be the alpha is the way I described it. Yeah. He ran home. And I think that took on a life of its own. Yeah. I think that became That's interesting. More than more than the story. Unless other people have other accounts, unless I'm wrong, let us know. That's my theory on that one. And uh this is the I'm gonna try to wrap this up. The tuna to T-U-N-N-I-T-U-A-Q-R-U-K, a a type of anthropoid monster from Inuit folklore, Uh, the Tuna tattooed ones of the Hudson Bay region in Canada who follow travelers or moving tribes for their scraps, but they're supposed to be terrifying. So these things kind of following you, and whenever you leave food or whatever, these things just come out, eat the food, disappear. Mm. Yeah, another spooky thing. Uh, There's also the Kowaso, and this is northern Japanese folklore. You have these shape-shifting otter tricksters who like to mess with humans. Others are otters who turn into beautiful women. I bring this one up because it's from Hokkaido, that island north of Japan. It's associated with the larger Arctic group, those marauders from the north. Right, they were one of the original ones you mentioned earlier. Yes, or at least it's one that was tied in that I wasn't aware of. It kind of reached there. And on the changing paw print front, Asian regions seem to have all these fox spirits or kitsune, and their paw prints change from foxes to women. So it's like, a, is it a fox fox or a scully fox or a fox scully molder? A uh, uh, foxy foxy fox. Yeah. I don't know. It's very X-Files, though. It's an AD
1: skin-er walker. Er
2: walker.
1: <laughs> er, walker. Skin I, think right. yeah. I think you're right. I <laughs> think you're right. It's like the electric
0: company. <laughs> 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 on a very related note, same Arctic group, different region in Alaska northwestern Canada. The Tlingit and Sumerian tribes have the Kushtaka, the Otterman. We're going to be talking about them. They're my spotlight critter for this whole oh, cool. Arctic thing. Although I, I I shouldn't say that because now I'm working on the Yeti, so there's almost two. But we're going to start with the Kushtika Is a fascinating kind of shamanic folklore behind that. It gets its own episode later. It gets its own episode later. And if that's not enough winter horrorland for you, the Inuit also speak of the Atush and the Achen, A-T-S-H-E-N, two similar Wendigo-esque cannibal creatures ready to pounce. Stories about the Achen are not considered by the Inuit to be myth, Atanakuns, but rather the retelling of actual events within contemporary memory, to destroy an action, it needs to be captured and held in a secure location, deprived of food and water until it dies. Then the body must be
1: burned. That's a pretty terrible way to go. That's from
0: Teresa Baines, Encyclopedia of Beasts and Monsters and Myth, Legend and Folklore. Yeah, that brings us to our highlight stories, and then I've got a thesis to wrap this up, so stick around because the thesis is going to—it's important— It's really important. Okay. So you got one more reading of kind of a highlight Eorak story that I found on the net. And then we're going to kind of segue a little bit to some of these other things.
1: Featured story. This comes from an encounter that an Angakuk Inuit shaman had with the Eorak. Whilst travelling alone in a snowstorm one evening, the Angakuk became surrounded by the Iyarak, whose intimidating red glowing stare sent shivers down his spine. The shaman convinced them that he was no threat to them, but refused their offer when they asked him to join forces with them. This angered the Iyarak, who attacked the shaman and physically overbore him. The shaman fought back with the help of his friendly spirits, but it was futile, and soon he was left unconscious and was carried to the home of the Eorak. Whilst there, the Eorak saw a better side of the creature, as one of the female Eorak agreed to free him on the basis that she could see him again. Oh, she's in love. Hmm. The Angakuk returned home, but the memory stealing powers of the Eorak began to take effect and he soon had little recollection of the whole event. The e-iraq haunted the shaman for the rest of his days, and when he was on his deathbed, he remembered vividly the experience he had. After they returned to revel in his mortal pain, he agreed to join the creatures instead of going to heaven. It is because of this that many believe the Iyarak to be the spirits of recently deceased folk.
0: Yeah, and there we have again that expat theme where people wander off, they come up with these stories to make it seem a little better or sometimes a little worse about what happens to the loved one after they move on. Uh, it really ranges from it's a good feeling, nature deity, helper, to some monster that it turns into that will you don't want to run into. Yeah,
1: um, yeah. So like all those old graves we found that they thought the people were vampires, so they have like bricks in their mouth or stakes in their heart and stuff yes. like that.
0: Yeah, we just listened to that on a, oh. a podcast together, and I had uh, just oh, yeah. read about that. I think in uh, Colin Wilson's occult, the same theories. I mean, it's, it's the same account from the Middle Ages, basically. Yeah. Here's an account of a shamanic battle. I just want to, I want to kind of just summarize real quick. We want to move on. It's from. uh Shapeshifter is an Inuit tale, Indian country today. It's basically the story of uh, these your personal animals. Are they friend or foe and they're shapeshifter? It gets very, uh, the whole thing gets a little Pokemon again. Okay. The stories of shamanic transformation are among the most sensationalistic of Inuit tales, however cautionary, being the tales of unbridled power and its price. There's a showdown between a netsalik, which I have to actually cancel, because I've been bored with it lately. Oh, wait, that's Netflix. (laughs) Never mind. N-E-T-S-I-L-I-K and an Utka shaman, U-T-K-U. Once upon a time, an Angakok shaman of the Nexalik and you met an Angakok of the Utka folk. The Nexalik Angakok becomes a white bear just as his enemy had become a bear. So had Utka Angakok takes the form of a muskox and then they kind of do battle to see who wins. And that's kind of, again, to show you the power of what they used to be able to do. Yeah. We're going to see that theme time and time again. Every single one I've come across so far has this and again it's easy to say, "Oh, yeah, back in the day." Right. But they have this common theme of the, the whole village would come out to watch these air shows in shamanic form. What were they watching? I mean, it might did they really just embellish the whole thing and because they had nothing better to do or was there really more Blainey kind of power work was this Vegas of the old days?
1: So did the guy really turn into a Musk ox, or were they just LARPing? <laughs> <laughs> is your question? That's really yeah, your question. Was exactly. it live action role playing, or yeah. was it actually happening the way it's described? Yeah,
0: right. Is it is it an old Dungeons and Dra- was it pre? Was it a
1: kind of a proto Dungeons and Dragons game? I mean, it could be a stage play kind of thing in right. a way. Mm-hmm. You know, if if they had that. David Blaine illusionist yeah. sort of aspect to him and there's two of them working right. together but yeah I mean it's a relevant question because things do get lost in the translation when you're reading ancient history kind of stuff
0: well we've also found in more modern accounts with anthropologists go there that folks are really enthralled with what the shaman says and believes what the shaman is describing and the people of the west that are there the anthropologists don't there's you know they're, right. they're trying to keep cool because everybody's acting a certain way and they're seeing something isn't there but to the anthropologists it's just they're they're under a spell of the shaman because
1: they believe right you see what you want to believe well you yeah know? you believe something hard enough it becomes true at least yeah. to you yeah. that that is definitely a thing yep yeah. I watch Peter Pan, yeah. and I I will say a muskox is a very good choice. That is a large, formidable, strong creature right yeah, there.
0: that's a good battle: white bear and a muskox. Yeah, I, like, I I would uh, watch that. Yeah, best defense for these Arctic shapeshifters: stay home. Don't go to the North Pole at all. It's it's not a beauty way to go. You know, your kayak can be tipped by a, a, a rat with a prehensile tail. Just yeah, don't, that's crazy. You just did it. You I'm actually you're crazy. You just, you just show
1: me a picture of you in a kayak. I was just going to say, I'm really sent gl- him. I'm really glad I went to Alaska before we did this episode, yes. or else I might not have gotten in that kayak. <laughs> I did tell him to
0: look out for creepy stuff. I didn't want to scare him, so I just kind of said, you know, just keep your
1: eyes open. I only did three days. Next time I go, I'm going to try to do a week and do three days in the bush by myself and Don't see if do I can that. find the Yeti.
0: We're not. Okay. Okay.
1: But by yourself. It's the only way to do it. Okay.
0: All right. Well. It'll, uh, so it'll, I'm looking for a partner for this podcast. If anyone, <laughs> please contact Moz at Monster
1: <laughs> I'm not going until next summer, so you have plenty of time uh, to find We're going to get a play. lot
0: of episodes before we lose them, kids. And then it'll be a great story. And you'll be like, yeah, the guy replaced, he got eaten by one of these little rat creatures in the it'll, frozen tundra. It'll probably
1: get us some real listenership. Yeah.
0: Don't do acid, though, because the ice weasels will get
1: you. Oh, no, no. you got to. It, it all comes from, we're going to do an interview for your Yeti part mm-hmm. with my buddy who flies helicopters up in Alaska. He has, I want to get him to say it, but he has a great theory on how to see the Yeti basically. Yeah. And, uh, but we're going to save that for, for that episode. And when yep. we can get that interview done, cause it, it'll be much better coming from him.
0: Yep. I'm working on a Yeti episode and it, it ties in and it doesn't, but there's been, it, it's been way more. It's one of those things, I keep going into a, uh, an area and thinking it's not going to be interesting and it's fascinating. So yeah, you do the deep dive, it, it rekindles that first love you had of the abominable snowman kind of thing. Right, it right. really does. But you need a strong shaman to fight Arctic shapeshifters. Render their energies mute. If you do face one, you're never supposed to attack them With the right hand or arm, but only with the left. That's a little. Oh, that's interesting. Nud Rasmussen, I found that in. So if you're out there, when you're out there, just attack them with your right hand. With the left hand. Yes. Well, you're not supposed to attack them with the right
1: hand. Yeah, only the left hand. I will definitely remember that for my next Alaska excursion. If you run into a monster, say,
0: I am not left-handed, you know, and do the whole Mm -hmm. Inigo Montoya thing. See what Mm -hmm. happens. Because they are rodents of unusual size. We've. Some of them. Oh, my God, they are. So, there you go. They actually are. Some of them. Yeah, or or at least rodents with, you know, hands on their
1: tail. So, they are real. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I have
0: (laughs) an an ROUS episode. It's definitely going to happen someday.
1: I've ridden the New York subway.
0: I've seen them. (laughs) Yeah, we've all been there. Uh, But there's some real freaky similarities, not just between these Paleoasiatic peoples, nomading their way around the Arctic, but also the U.S. Southwest you know and there's also a connection i have to mention it between the dennae not just in alaska but also russia this is just a theory but people are looking at dna evidence and looking at language and they're seeing a connection
1: that land bridge how long ago we don't know yeah. but a, a navajo friend of mine told me that and she speaks navajo she's fluent mm-hmm. and she told me that asian languages mm-hmm. she can kind of get what they're saying like she, yeah. She's like she. She doesn't like say she can understand them fully, but it's kind of like me listening to Spanish. I I can I know enough of it mm-hmm. that I can kind of like I definitely don't know exactly what you said, but I can kind of figure out a lot of it. She's like that with Asian language, and she's never studied them. Like I've studied Spanish a little bit. I've hung out with people who speak Spanish, and so I'm I'm you know exposed to it regularly. She doesn't really have exposure to that regularly, but she's still like when she. Runs into an Asian person, person speaking, you know their native tongue, so to speak. She can kind of get it. So there's definitely a connection between the Native American languages and the Asian languages, just from that.
0: Yeah, when I went to school, they would have poo pooed that in the psychological field, but now with epigenetics and all these things coming out, that, that, that you, there is something that may be handed down. Yeah. From generation to generation, that becomes a more plausible, like, yeah, I can kind of, or it's related to what they grew up with and their language that has the similarities between that. It's, it, the, those are your two choices with that. Yeah, yeah. So, But I always try to end on uh, my own important thesis, and I've said that shamans are old power, old school and I believe we're going to look for the Proto-Shaman at some point, and we have we have to figure out where this kind of originated, and it kind of comes back to these same themes. But I think for Christmas, we have a treat in store for you. Yay! Yeah. Before we go, I have this, uh, it's kind of, you know, oh, I actually want to say this, but I'm not sure we should. I'm going to say it, and then you can decide. Certain reindeer herders, like the Laps, for domestication purposes, would bite the testicles off the reindeer rather than use a knife. They thought that it was more humane, and they thought it worked better. So that if those Rocky Mountain Bet Spheres show up, <laughs> we, know,
1: we know who to recruit to take care of business. Instead of using the nice sharp metal blade to cut off the testicles, I'm just going to use my teeth I'm I'm just reporting what I read.
0: <laughs> I haven't done this.
1: I am glad I am no. not in that culture. Let's yep. just say that.
0: <laughs> Have you seen Monstrum by chance on YouTube? She does a no. bunch of great little, and, and they're, they're deep dives, but they're really short. You know, they're between 15 and 30. Some of them are longer, but, but you'll still learn something. She's actually, you know, she does a really good job for the amount of minute per minute that okay. you get. Mo- just monstrum, monstrum, yeah, okay. storied as the other version of that. And Dr. Emily Zarkus is the one who hosts it. She does a great job, and she thinks the bumble from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer fame is really where we actually get the f- common concept of the yeti. I thought that was pretty cool. Now I,
1: I that like she says that that created the myth. No, nope. no. What she, do you mean? Because
0: it has been a ton of. People have seen something, but our our Western rendition of what we think of as a Yeti, as the Abominable uh, Snowman, comes from actual actually Rudolph the Red-Nosed That's
1: the picture we get in our yeah. head yeah. because
0: of that. I gotcha. I would like to say I think it's from the 57 Hammer production of the Abominable Snowman with Peter Cushing and Forrest Tucker. That's my theory. Okay. And, and, and only three people made it to the end of that movie. I happen to be one of them. <laughs> actually, I thought
1: you meant the, the characters in the movie. You're talking about viewers. <laughs> yeah, viewers. Well,
0: actually, Forrest Tucker certainly didn't make it to the end either. Spoiler alert. Is it too soon to discuss? I don't think anyone cares. Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs>
0: I don't know how he went on to attack the crawling eye. I have no idea. But, yeah, I, I think that that actually is probably where we got it. But she's probably right. That actually is why we think of the snowman yeah. in Bumble yeah. Form.
1: But that, I, I take it that's not what they really look like.
0: Well, I, well, I would say this, what it is is a segue into my Christmas thesis. Okay. So you had the little sleigh bells going now. Jing, jing, jingling. Yeah. Forget the Santa and psilocybin or Krampus stuff for a minute. This is old Rank and Bass, Snow Miser, Heat Miser, Christmas Carol stuff. The year without Santa Claus. Yes, the Arctic marionette thesis that I have. And, and just bear with me here. I'm going to start off with this. The winter warlock is the bumble. Now think about it. They've never seen the same show. Name? Certainly not the same scene. They're not even the same show. What if the winter warlock's totem marionette is this, the, or the tunic, or the ikla, is this yeti-type creature?
1: Well, it's a great way to get more roles as an actor. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no. Now, I'm, I, you laugh, but w- this is going to become very serious, so you do need to put on your thinking okay. cap. Even though okay. we're talking about marionettes, you still have to put your thinking cap on. Okay. And you, I'll bring you here. I will, And You had the Elf on the Shelf comment. It's the Elf who wants to become a dentist. He's like the Koryak, the psychic vampire, like Colin Robinson. Uh, the two could be brothers from another Shulma, in my opinion. There's something really not okay about that elf. He's already a magical being. And he has this morbid fascination with teeth, which we'll talk about more when we delve in the serial killers, I'm sure. Wait, Jim? elf on the shelf and teeth? The dentist from Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. He wants to be a dentist. Ah. And he has this fascination with teeth, which comes ah. in throughout. It's you know, we'll get to that. But you know okay. where? I'm, are you with okay. me? Now? You're tracking I, I Rudolph? Back.
1: I am. Think I'm back on track with you. Yes.
0: And his name is Hermie, after the trickster god from Greek mythology.
1: Oh, the, that's interesting.
0: In one scene, they leave him alone, and he starts fixing the doll's teeth. Yeah. That, if you could see Jeremy's face, <laughs> see, I want him to stop. I want him to just stop for a minute, thinking I'm. You're just creeping me out. It's gonna get worse. And I want you to know that. Oh, God. Is this where we do the kiddo? You know, kiddos should just go back and sugarplum stuff, this stuff. Yeah, this is where you send them to go play with their new Christmas toys. The very next scene, we find Rudolph's girlfriend's name is Clarice. Clarice? I'm
2: not kidding.
0: End of that scene, we can't play in any reindeer games, so he storms off and what looks like tiny mushrooms all over the ground, but they're blurred out. Go back no and watch way. this.
1: You make me watch the weirdest stuff again because I'm like, <laughs> really. Next scene, the not dentist
0: declares their, you know, and the and the and Rudolph declare their in, their independence. Two Christmas balls fall from the tree at the that very moment they declared their independence. Clear poltergeist phenomenon.
1: Are are those
0: Tesla happy fun balls? Maybe. Maybe we're back to the bet spheres. Who presides over the misfit toys, that land landed the misfit toys? A flying lion.
1: Oh, that's as chimeric as it gets. There you that's go. That's like traditional.
0: Rudolph then returns to the shaman's cave. Now, he's born in a cave, and that's the first scene. Shaman. Yeah. Returns to the cave on the edge of manhood at the hero's journey, and he faces off with the bumble, who is now in the role of Polyphemus from the Odyssey. Same scene. Oh, yeah, huh. Then the not-dentist does some unnecessary orthodontic work on the bumble. And then Yukon Cornelius has this Gandalf Balrog moment falling into the pit, to return later as Yukon the gold, with the beast in tow.
1: Mm, So he went through a transformation right there, too. The shamanic journey got torn apart and put back together kind of thing? Yes, but before that,
0: it's also the Gilgamesh and Enkidu thing with taming the beasts because now they're friends. Right, right. Here's the big question, though. What is Rudolph?
1: What is Rudolph? I before all this, I totally would have just immediately said he's Santa's yak, but he's obviously more than that. He's a not-deer. Rudolph's a not-deer?
0: No one wants to play with him. He has that one-off anatomical feature, his glowing nose, which is usually red eyes in the folklore. Two little devil horns for most of the program. Are on his head. Oh, yeah. He can fly. There's a clear connection to those reindeer herding shamanic tribes of the Arctic Circle. He probably drinks his own psilocybin lace urine. Uh, yeah, this is where we should do the kiddo content warning again. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's too late for that. <laughs> if I found him in a cryptozoological guide, I would be like, ah, yes, Rudolph the Red-Nosed, not deer. Santa's yek is the other theory. Yeah. He travels in a blizzard, a wintry version of a whirlwind. Rudolph was born in a cave. Right after his birth, his nose glows and it whistles.
1: Oh my God, whistles. It whistles, but yes, when it goes... <laughs> oh my goodness. That's right. How many
0: shapeshifter whistles. check marks would he get on my spreadsheet? Like almost all of them. Yeah. If there's any real life Rudolph sightings, kids, if you see backwards facing feet, I'd really like to know if Rudolph is packing those because...
1: So Santa's the shaman, but obviously, because he's a magical dude, so he's the in, uh, very in our good. terms, he's definitely the shaman. But so so Rudolph is slightly dysmorphic like that. But don't all the reindeer fly? Is it just a pack of not deer? Or is it just Rudolph that's the not deer? He has the off feature, he has the yeah. extra powers. Uh, he's probably the you know, he's the leader of the pack. So did the other reindeer fly because Santa Has the power to allow them to, but Rudolph can do it on his own.
0: We could go into the whole flying agaric mushroom connection with Santa. We're not, Mm -hmm. not, that's going to be for another Christmas. I don't want to spoil this Christmas. That's why
1: Santa wears red and white because of that mushroom. Because of the mushroom. You'd be be. surprised how much that mushroom works into our history in, in subtle ways. And our podcasts in not so subtle in ways. Not so subtle ways. <laughs> <laughs> but Santa, I'm just waiting for the episode where you go, okay, you need to eat mushrooms for this one. <laughs> that was Logan. That was Fear and Logan and Lost Flagstaff. Yeah, we avoided that though. Yeah, I wanted to get a, <clears throat> a solid interview. I didn't want to be all messed up for that one. Yeah, I understand. But Santa is you. I think Santa's the proto shaman of the Arctic.
0: We're gonna go looking for the proto shaman. He might be. He might fit the bill. Santa smokes like a shaman. He uses tobacco. He also uses sleigh bells instead of drums to get into an altered state of consciousness. He flies through the air. Campbell's fly the wild gander, the shamanic journey. He introduces Rudolph to the sleigh bells right after Rudolph is born, after yeah. his nose is whistling, yeah. his red nose is whistling. Oh, yeah, here's some sleigh
1: bells. And he's got nine yaks. Yes. Because there's nine deer that fly his sleigh. Right. They're all his yaks.
0: Yep, but, but you know... The shan, even the proto shaman can't do it without the yek. He can't fly without the yeks.
1: Notice they are the ones pulling it. Go ahead. Oh my God! I just realized this. And he definitely is in that psychedelic range because he has a bunch of machine elves making his stuff machine for him.
0: Machine elves. I didn't think they're of that machine
1: one. elves. Oh, you're Ter- Are you Terrence McKenna? Oh me? my goodness! Right in the face.
0: Wow! Don't do that on Christmas.
1: Excuse me. <laughs> That just blew, oh my goodness, that just up to the whole Santa as a shaman thing in my brain yeah, so much.
0: There you go. Well, you always add something. But Santa's legend goes back to the Germanic Tomtons, evil elves who beat children and lapped up their blood. This is not a lie. And their oh, no. allegiance to the proto-Santa at that time was pre-Krampus was Ruprecht, a humanoid creature made of straw complete with giant antlers on his head. So he's a knocked oh, Santa. Oh, he's got the antlers. He's a not Santa. He's a knocked Santa. He's a wendigo or something. He's something. <laughs> Even in Christmas wow. carols, we swing back to therianthropes, yeti, Trans states, evil doppelgangers, little people, blood, vampirism, totem, animals, shamanic flights, and, and, and you just said machine elves.
1: Right? But doesn't that make total, like in yeah. this... It, yeah. fr- looking at it from this angle, they're machine elves. They're machine elves. And, and they all look the
0: same except the not dentist.
1: Yeah. Because they all don't, don't have hair. He has a shot of blonde hair. And honestly, that whole teeth thing is the creepiest part about this for me by far. Yeah. <laughs> but look what he does to that bumble. I mean, that's not okay. When you started this, I'm you like, know? oh, I got to watch this again. And now I'm yeah. like, I don't know if I want to. That teeth thing is going to freak yeah. me out. And we also have the Access Monday in the form of the Christmas tree. Probably we'll talk about that another day, but... It's very Wiccan, the Christmas tree.
0: Well, it's it's also very shamanic lattery.
1: And as we said, the Wiccan is just a, a form of sh- shamanism that developed later on. hmm
0: Exactly. Um, side note, who helps everyone reach the upper world of the Axis Mundi? The bumble puts the star on the top of the tree. Oh, there Can't it is. Can't do without your totem, kids. You need a yek like that. A yek yeti in this case. Wow. I know. I mean, every every scene seems to be a story within a story. And uh, there's also deleted scenes, which I found. When I knew this was going to air around Christmas, you know, I kind of upped my game. And why were they deleted? Did you know the version that aired in 1964 did not have the scene at the end where the misfit toys are rescued? What happened between 1964 and 1965 when the scene was mysteriously added? Did Rankin-Bass receive threats from those anthropomorphized entities left behind? Were they like, hey, nice family you have here. It would be a shame if they were desanguated. (laughs) This is conjecture, I admit. But why did they put that back in later? They left those Even Rankin-Bass were like, yeah. So please tell Santa to help. No. You're weird. We're just going to leave you there. Uh. And that's what the original version had. It didn't have them actually being saved. you know. So I, I don't know. It goes deeper than that. You, you'd say this is over. It goes right? deeper than that? Last part for those still hanging with us. The Kringle journey takes us to Indonesia. I know you didn't think, but I know you could think. <laughs> If you can see he, the, the little eyes and the eyebrows and the batting and, the, we, and the we have
1: been in the Arctic Circle for like two hours now, Maz, and now we're in Indonesia all of a sudden. Okay, but who is Santa taking orders from? Okay, let just
0: hear Who's me out. Taking orders from Santa is not maybe not the proto-Shaman. Hang on, or whole Guano, or he's the you know he's the Koryak, not the Kala, or you know le- 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 we'll get to this. A master in the art of Indonesian shadow puppetry is the Dalang. It's another example of an adaptation of a shamanic technique of trance and energy management. The Delang manipulates over 100 puppets with different voices and languages, and he accompanies himself with his feet on the gamalong, a xylophone-like instrument. The personalities and roles of the puppets are never confused because the Delang embodies the spirit of the puppet each time he takes the characters. Delang is also a master of yoga and meditation, allowing the Delang to draw energy from the environment and channel it to sustain the excellence of the long and complicated performance. The characters are gods, goddesses, demons, mythical creatures, and simple people, or everyone we just talked about in that show. The performances are a mixture of traditional stories and current events, weaving and reweaving tales of the ever flowing dynamic between chaos and order. The shadow screen itself is a reminder of the illusory distinction between ordinary reality and non-ordinary reality. The Delang and his shadow puppet dramas express the shadow and the light, the chaos and the order, without bias and judgment, playing out again and again in infinite variety of the values and beliefs of the community. That from the Encyclopedia of Shamanism, Christina Pratt. And another thing, before you say anything, and you, could, I'm going to give the mic to you in a minute, is it a coincidence that Santa's known to go to Indonesia once a year at the same time? <laughs> Am I wrong?
1: Am I wrong? Well, Santa goes everywhere once a year. year at the same time. You
0: and your delangy details. But that's that was wild.
1: That whole puppet master thing, though. Yes. Yeah, so
0: who made all those shamanic marionette Christmas carols? Rank and bass. Bass means fish trickster. Implications, of course, the first shaman implication is because they're the ones who showed people how to fish and Rankin of first shaman of rank. Right. Hmm. They robbed us of our visions of sugar plums and they, they took us on a the tundra. They took us to the hero's journey. They took us into a cave to transform us all into shamans, not unlike the Banjkari of Nepal, and the Tango of Japanese legend. And that's where I end. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You didn't think we'd end in Indonesia tonight, you just, did you?
1: You just made Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer a n- demonic not-deer kind of entity on that, Moz. You you really do have a knack for ruining Christmas here, I think. <laughs> well done. Well yeah. done. And now why the Grinch is a good figure. Let's go into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well actually, once you... The Grinch is another transformation story. Yeah. He's got a dog yak. We can get into that. I
0: haven't written that thesis yet.
1: Wow. Yeah. You kind of melted my brain there, Moz.
0: Well, I I, I don't know why these things make as much sense, but scene by scene, I found something related to all of the things we're talking about, which again, I don't know why that happens.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, it's- I could get into all kinds of conspiracy stuff about this right now. The worldwide conspiracy that shamans are running the world almost and are in control of all the information we obtain, kind of thing. Well,
0: one theory is. But, you
1: know, you can do that with anything. That's just conspiracy.
0: Well, Robert Louis Stevens, and and one, you know, when he wrote Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and a lot of his other works, said that the little people and the brownies helped him, by the way. And if. Some of our greatest authors were actually channeling machine elves. Then so
1: was Rankin and yeah. Bass. Yeah, tapping into a different yeah. level of energy, kind of thing.
0: Yep. I mean, more on that at some point.
1: Yeah. Cool. Does that do it for this one?
0: Well, now for the heat miser and snow. No, I don't have anything. <laughs>
1: Alright, well that's part one of this uh two-part Christmas special. Boom. He's
0: Mr. He miser. He's Mr. Hot <laughs> Bing. <laughs> <Mr. Hup. laughs> <laughs>
1: Speaking of hair and voodoo dolls, uh, if you guys want to send me a Christmas present, send the lock of your hair. No reason. No reason.